1: Don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, welcome back to Ausbiz. Great to have your company for the next 60 minutes for the program we call The Call. Um, We put 10 stocks that you've suggested um as part of our ausbiz tribe to uh, two experts on what they think of them and terrific to have scott phillips joining us from motley falls scott g'day how are you going on this tuesday morning
2: you good afternoon or good afternoon yeah always well mate life is good beautiful right. southern highlands and new south wales mate it's a uh, god's own paradise yep
1: and it's that beautiful time of the year where the light is gorgeous, isn't it? And cool mornings, warm afternoons—be great down there.
2: Spectacular this morning. It was nice and cool, Chris. Yeah. But a yeah. lovely morning, mate. Sun rising over the over the trees. Yeah, gorgeous. Can't complain. Oh. Nothing oh, about oh, me, though. Mark
1: Morland he's <laughs> almost getting romantic, isn't he? Here, he is. oh, got... I'm, so, I'm sort of tearing up. Uh, <laughs> Mark Morland from Team Investors with well. us. Mark, how are you going? Excellent, excellent. Good. Yeah. Team Invest members, what's on their mind uh, at the moment? They're
0: all happy. I mean, we've just gone through a stress test where we've. Uh, worked out uh, if we inflation goes up to, say, 5% and interest rates go up to 5%, what's it going to do to all our companies? So it's, we're stress-testing everything. Oh, that's and interesting. And all our wealth winners are all good. Right. And there's plenty of companies that won't be ah, know, when, uh, if okay. interest rates go up cause right.
1: with debt and so on. So okay. it's been
0: an interesting exercise.
1: That is an interesting yeah. exercise to go through. Um, Scott, what's, um, what has the Motley Fool Tribe been focusing on? Any particular trends from reacting with, with your group?
2: Really good question, mate. I think what we're looking for and actually finding a bit of is the stuff that's kind of been thrown out with the bathwater. The market's been really choppy over the last three or four or five months. We don't yeah. tend to worry about that from a performance perspective, short term is short term and that things wash out. But what it does leave behind often is some some attractive ideas. So if you look at things like some in the tech sector, some is dramatically overvalued, I think, but some is cheap. Um, e-commerce, I think, is <laughs> looking reasonably inexpensive. Uh, Retail's all over the place. I mean, at the moment, Woolies, for example, is on a higher P/E than Kogan, and make of that what you will. Um, so you know, I think we're looking for those mispriced opportunities. We always are, right? We're stock pickers, so yeah. are, so our market yeah. team invest. But, yeah. but broadly, I think there's there's been so much uh, movement in the market. You know, the kind of washing machine effect. I think there is potential opportunity. You've got to have a strong stomach for some of these because they've been all over the place. But if you can ride it through and and actually have a look through the dross and work out where those mispriced opportunities are, I think that right now, potentially, I think really is a good setup for long-term outperformance.
1: That is interesting. Let's uh, hope we have a couple of those in our 10 stocks that we have a look at today. I always uh, pick one that's in the news and um, certainly in the news today, UK-based company Entain lobbying a, three and a lobbying a $3.5 billion bid for Tab Corp's wagering business. First time the company has named one of the parties pursuing the arm um, since first flagging in March that's so received several approaches. No view yet formed on the merits, but the company says it will assess it. Um, Scott, uh, what do you think of them coming out with this? And also, what does it say for, for Tab Corp as an investment?
2: You know what's funny, Koshi, when you've been around doing this for a little while, this is kind of the, it's a bit like streaming TV, right? You have this balkanization and, and then the splitting apart of, of things, whether that's subscription television, whether that's, in this case, Tabcorp. Remember, Tabcorp, of course, the current one, was formed by the combination of all the different state wagering businesses plus yeah. Uh You kind of build it all together and then you break it all apart. And that kind of is the way that corporate <laughs> Australia goes. If I was more cynical, mate, I'd say the investment bankers are trying to try earn some fees, but that would be very right. kind. So I won't say that. Uh, what I will say though is, that as a business, it's look, you know, it's a really it's a monopoly business effectively in Australia, almost entirely. I think it's every every state uh, and the Australian lottery. So it's a really nice business to have. It's really reliable, stable cash flow in theory. Um, it can be volatile with a number of jackpots and the, and the winning margins by some of its punters, of course. But I don't hate the business. I don't love it at thirty times earnings. I have to say, and those bidders are clearly seeing some value. They think they can create because no one's going to buy it at a full price. if There's no upside left. Clearly, they're yep. finding some value, or thinking they are. Uh, I wouldn't touch it. I'd be taking the money off the table from the from the bidder. But uh, maybe there's something mm. there for someone else.
1: Okay,
0: no, uh, yeah, I, I largely concur. Except uh, we wouldn't touch it. Oh. Um, its its performance has been really, really poor. Uh, the last six years, the average uh, TPS average has been minus sixteen percent a year. Wow. So it's actually it's going down. And you know, you don't want to be investing in businesses that are going down unless you, as far as their earnings, unless you. Have a good a really good understanding of the business and know why that'll change now the suitor who wants to buy it obviously thinks we can run it a lot better yeah we'll give it our magic kiss you know like the prince kissing the yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the frog kissing the prince and kissing the princess yeah. <laughs> analogy and but they may be right and they may be wrong right. uh, i'll be surprised if tabcor uh, take it or do a deal i mean the history of a <clears throat> australian companies that perform poorly when they get a um, an unsolicited takeover offer, they usually say they're underpriced and right. and try and blow them off. That's usually what happens, right. and then it's usually bad for shareholders right. after that. So I, I totally agree with um, Scott. Is if,
1: if the share price is coming up a bit because of this, I would take it, right? So it's five bucks at the moment, as yep. we saw yep. that five-year yeah. chart, that's getting up close to its five-year highs on all of this speculation. Well, I so, take it. So take yeah, it.
0: Yeah, rather than hoping that the price will get bid up and they'll get a higher price. Because yeah. the business is not performing well, or hasn't performed well, and what Scott said was quite correct, where these companies, they grow by um, emerging up various yeah. aspects, and then not many of
1: them do well when they do that. Well, because the theory is always that one and one makes three. So that doesn't often happen. so that's right. Yeah. So, Scott, one-on-one often doesn't make three for a lot of companies and then they dissect yeah. them. Uh, Boral, I suppose, is yeah. another classic example now that it's going through. They've got some new shareholders on the register that are basically saying, split it up. It's it worth more in pieces.
2: Even the old Fosters, Southcorp Koshi. I mean, there's so many of these examples. Look, some companies do acquisitions well. Um, some do them badly and some just, it, look, it thinks it makes sense, as you say, on paper, never really. One-on-one doesn't actually equal three unless there are real costs to be taken out or real advantages. Some of the um, the, the academic research in the U.S., by the way, says that unless a company pays cash and the acquisitions are less than 10% of the acquiring company's market cap, yeah. they're bad deals. Uh, that tends to hold. Now, of course, there are averages. There are puts and, puts and takes and pluses and minuses, and they're always exceptions to the rule. But when you think about the yeah. way these companies do their business, there's no reason they couldn't be successful together it's hard to say though. Other than save a bit on maybe some corporate costs, these are two separate businesses anyway. Wagering and lotteries, they're fine. They're great, but, but you know, do they belong together? Need to be together? I don't think yeah. so necessarily. I think empire building tends to always look like a good idea in in the in the, in the windscreen, in the rear vision mirror. Rarely does it look yeah. like a great idea. Way too many examples of businesses that have tried and failed. Even look at Woolies trying to buy it. Was it easy buy? I think um, you know the, these good ideas of a business they want to buy and somehow get synergies from, and they can work, uh, but more often than not they yeah. don't. I think this is a situation where I, here's the other thing. The other way to look at it, by the way, if a private equity buyer does buy this business and makes more money out of it and manages to float it back for more than they sold it for, right. the current management have got to ask themselves, and the board of directors ask themselves the hard questions of why yeah. was it we couldn't do what they did, uh, and that's probably the other question is you know is it. Was it a bad purchase or has it been badly run? Uh, those questions will yep. be answered in the fullness, of, uh, fullness okay. of time.
1: All right. Some good analysis there on Tabcorp. So uh, if you're in it, might be the time to take some profits and move on. All right. Our first stock um, that Eric wants us to take a look at, Mark, is Grain Corp. The big uh, grain handling, logistics yeah. business, isn't it? They're, they're in marketing um, focus on, on wheat barley and canola. Uh, very difficult. Okay. Uh, these businesses. I mean, they're,
0: it's sort of a, like a simile, it's a, it's a, uh, they, they, they. It used state to be the, a government That's right. So it was a government yeah. entity and then they, yeah. so what they do is they take it all in and yeah. they do the marketing and so on. Yeah. Uh, very, very low uh, profit margin business. They've lost money the last two years mm-hmm. and before that they were making, it ranged from about 1% to, at best, 6%. So yeah. if you go back to the last two good years they had were 2011, 2012. So it was 10 years ago, really, I'd argue, since they've had a good year. Uh, now, we're, obviously there's cycles in agriculture, yeah. but they don't seem
1: to be getting good ones. Right. Okay. That way. So if you look at the... Although well, like the drought's broken now, that's <laughs> probably reason why well, the share price. okay,
0: but uh, it's so nice. 10 years a long time for me. I'm, right. I look at history oh, yeah, and say, well, yeah. their average growth of earnings is negative 5% a year over yeah. the last six years. So, mm. you know, that will need to turn around. And just looking at this uh, uh, chart on here, this is the earnings, the bars of the earnings. So, yeah. so if you look at that, that's the last 10 years. Yeah. And then overlaid on there that line is the uh, price of, of the uh, shares right. so you can see how it went up significantly it's, it's, it's all over the shop so yeah. if you're an investor and not a trader and trying to make a quick buck you look at that chart of earnings and say what would give you confidence yeah. to think that it's now going to be good right going okay. forward yeah, uh, yeah. and it doesn't have a p-e ratio at the moment because it's, it's making losses right no, there's no earnings yeah so yeah. why would you touch it yeah there's actually lots of good companies out there you can buy where you can predict earnings with some confidence, I would predict this is going to continue. Okay. All right. Scott, what do you think of GrainCorp?
2: Well, I agree with Mark. I'm not as negative, but I wouldn't buy it. It's worth separating the share price out from the company as well. And I think to some degree, what I really like about GrainCorp is the most recent announcement that they basically said, look, we are in the marketing business, but we're also in the storage business. And I've got to say, I'm, I, it, it, it escapes me what they've decided to store. I can't exactly remember what it was. But they recently announced, "Look, hey, we've got all these storage facilities. We'll use them for whatever they they're useful for." And if that sounds like a reit more than a, more than an agriculture company, I think you're on the right track. Now it's it's almost the worst of both worlds, to be fair. It's a reit with all the low growth that implies, and an agricultural company with all of the cyclicality that implies. And maybe you get on the good side, maybe you don't. Um, so, look, you know, I like their efforts as an organization to do their best. The problem is that you don't get marked in investing for doing the right things unless you get the results that come with them. Uh, and so, to Mark's point, this is not a business that has justified investor optimism in the past. No. Will it in the future? Who knows? I, I do think they're a brighter business. They seem to be a more, um, opp- opportunistic sounds bad, but opportunistic in a positive way. They, they're going to find the opportunities. They're going to try and make full use of their assets where they can. That's a really smart strategy. So, I will keep them on the watch list. They're not a buy for me at all now, for most of the reasons Mark's already highlighted, plus a pretty expensive price even when they were profitable. Um, Even though the share price has fallen, there was a lot of optimism in that price. So I'm going to keep an eye on them. If they can turn this strategy into something more all-weather, then they might be worth looking at. But that's probably another six months down the track once we see, hopefully, the fruits of their labours. Yep, sure.
1: All right, thank you for that suggestion, Eric. Um, Now, Tom Scott wants a view on Blackmores, the big uh, vitamin... Uh, company Christine Holgate used to uh, to run it from the uh, Australia Post fam, um, fame and and took it into China. Uh, founded by Marcus Blackmore, it was one of the China darlings for a number of years, wasn't it? Um, as their sales through Asia, particularly China, really drove their share price, and has come off quite a bit.
2: Yeah, because you know, not only Christine used to run it, but full disclosure, I used to work for her at Blackmore's right. and I do own some Blackmore's shares. So we'll get those two things out of the way first. Right. Um, look, I think there's a real question around this China strategy now for a few companies, A2 Milk, Blackmore's, um, uh, others besides. And, and it's a really a question of how much risk or faith you're prepared to put in the future versus how much certainty you want right now. I think that the optimism and frankly, the success of Blackmore's in those really boom years were an unusually good time. And I think they made a misstep strategically by effectively assuming that was going to go on forever. And so they ramped up costs. They said, like, this is our new revenue base, great. We can incur costs of X, Y, Z. We put on staff We can pay for marketing, that kind of thing. Of course, when the tide goes out, when those Daigu sales stopped, and of course, they've, they've literally come to a, almost a dead stop now, thanks to the uh, tourism and migration bans in place because of COVID, then things got rough really, really quickly. And I think there's, you know, you've got to look through that to my mind. I'm a shareholder because I think out of the other side of this, uh, they can get back into China in a meaningful way, both directly and indirectly through those Daigu traders. If COVID's been good for these companies, it's been good in the sense that they've been forced to rely or, or to focus on direct sales into China. Those Daigu sales, the suitcase trade, as we call it, those are those are businesses that effectively supply push. A Daigu trader, a, a student, an expat, a tourist, will come and buy a whole lot of black take it home, and then try and get their yeah. relatives and friends to buy it. They certainly do, the other and they, which is And,
1: that, and yeah. they do that with infant formula, don't they? So, particularly exactly. when we had a bunch of Chinese students studying here, they'd go home for holidays with suitcases full of yep. it that they'd buy from Chemist Warehouse or wherever. Director Woolies or and, yep. and, and sell it on the secondary market, wouldn't they?
2: Spot on. Nailed it. And in fact, it was actually getting professional. So, there actually were some professional. So-called Daigou who were kind of in that grey market trade who would actually live here and send it back by the box load, like, not just suitcase right. trade. So yep. it, it was a kind of a you know a semi-organized trade, um, all, all not legally and properly by the way. Uh, but the problem was it was supply push, right? So when those Daigou traders fell apart, no yeah. one or not many people in China were saying, "Where's my Black moss, Where's my A2? Where's my choose your choose your brand Bellamys, Bubs? Yeah. Um, I, I want it now." And so they they didn't really do enough work to grow demand in China. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that this Daigou trade effectively direct you know stop as has made them do is focus on building that demand rather than relying on supply pushing stock into the country i think it'll come back i think tourists and uh, students will return we will see migration return we will see a resumption of sales from australia to china i think Blackmore's is ready to capitalize on that one so I'm, i am bullish on it i think it's a, a good long-term opportunity you do have to take some faith you have to believe those things will happen if you don't don't believe it or you're not prepared to wait and take the punt then i wouldn't blame you for giving it a miss but it's a buy for me
0: Okay. Mm. All right. Mark? Uh, it's a very interesting business, actually. We could, we could talk about half an hour on yeah, this yeah. company, as Scott yeah. would agree, without a doubt. Mm. Um, I, I'm going to show you, there's a chart we've got on uh, PE ratios for Blackmores, oh. which is a really, really good one. Now, I often talk about PE ratios being more important than price because the trouble with yeah. price is it's, it's only giving you one data point, nothing yep. else. And in its, on its own, all it's telling you is what market sentiment is and what people will pay on a given day for a, for a share. What you're looking at there... Um, even though that uh, might be a bit small for you. So if you look at the years up to 2018, the, the, uh, the, the PEs were much, much lower. Now that was yeah. in the early stages after the GFC, where before people got used to the idea of free money and therefore I'm, getting, I'm not getting a return on my cash. So they started bidding up equity prices. So that chart going up is a typical chart of a lot of companies where the PEs have gone out significantly over the last six or seven years. Blackmore's was accelerated because if you look at the 2018-19, uh, uh, those yeah, two years, yeah. that was the Chinese boom that Scott was talking about. Uh, Christine Holgate came in about 2016, I think. Um, and it, they were already exporting to China, but she really got the strategy right. going and made it move. So she was outstanding. Right. And, and she, it was the right place, right time. Okay, so if everyone hates it now, mm-hmm. why is the PE so much higher? Well, the PE is actually high now. It's about 120 I think, roughly, yeah. because the earnings have come right off. So the last right. the last earnings report was terrible. So they took a massive dive. But the price hasn't come That's off right. as much. So the market hasn't punished them that much. Right. So so the price has stayed up, which means the PE's has expanded. Right. Now, if you are confident, as Scott said, that the, um, uh, the when travel starts and diegals come back and so on, and that trade starts picking up again, then the earnings will uh, yeah. go back up. Right, so, so the share price, I think, is still about $71. Right. It peaked at 208 I think. Yeah, uh, and I remember having a discussion with Howard about it. He took a large investment in Blackmore's at twenty four dollars right. in about two fifteen. Right. Uh, when Christine Holgate had dazzled us with uh, her uh, her talents, yeah, which she yeah. did, did. Yeah. Um. And he argued strongly that our membership all buy Blackmoors was a bargain. Right. And he wrote it right up to two hundred eight. He didn't sell any at two hundred eight. I, did, right. I didn't buy any because I was. Um, I didn't get around to it. Right. It's okay. one of those uh, one of those so, uh, errors of omission, it's right. So So
1: he's written it down
0: again. Yeah, but it's still is he but he still he's, No, 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 he well he he okay, so value wise he went up to two hundred and came down to seventy. So you'd right. say some people would say, Well, that was stupid. Why didn't right. you sell it at two hundred? Now the problem you have as an investor is when it went from twenty-four to fifty, yeah, it's doubled in price. What yeah. do most people do? Most people go, Oh, it's doubled in price, I'll sell them. Yeah. Or it goes to seventy-five. Very few people could hold on to two hundred sure. because there was no way of knowing that was going to happen. Yep. Now it wasn't—it wasn't an aberration. The reason uh, it was actually backed by earnings. So their earnings growth actually doubled in two seventeen and two thousand eighteen. So it's hundred percent, hundred percent increases. Yeah. So you actually look at the P/E ratio; it wasn't bad. Yeah. But okay. if you only look at price, yeah, it doesn't give you the story. Right. Yeah. Okay. So when what a lot of analysts would have said, "Oh, don't buy it; it's too expensive." When it was hundred dollars, it was actually a good price buying at hundred dollars. Right.
1: So you wouldn't be buying a, this with a... PUA well, no, there's side, another problem
0: it? now with Blackmores. Apart from that, they've had massive upheavals in management. When Christine Holgate left, that was a real shock yep. to us and went to Aussie Post. Um, and that's another whole story, but we haven't got time to go into that. Yeah. They then replaced her. That didn't work out. Or well, they, they actually promoted their uh, chief operating officer as to CEO, and that he added to overheads and so on. Then they gave him the bullet, and right. then Marcus Blackmore stepped in. Yeah. And he's too old now. He's really into sailing, and he's really retired. Cost yeah. Costs increased, as Scott mentioned. You know, so they they were on a trajectory yeah. of increasing costs, which yeah. they should have been the absolute opposite. Then the market came off with COVID, big write downs. And they also right. bought into a manufacturing facility as well. So they're trying to vertically integrate. We didn't like that either. Right. So there's a whole heap of things that have gone on in the management area, which have uh, exacerbated the problem. Right. And they've got a new CEO now, and we don't know what he's
1: like yet, and I haven't met him. Okay. All right. So, so jury's uh, out for my point of view. So, jury, I know at the moment, but you're watching. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's um it. next stock. Uh, thank you for that, Tom. Michael, what's a view? Uh, mark on Amcor, the uh, the big patchy, packaging group, everything from cartons to uh, it's got 231 manufacturing facilities in 40 countries. It's massive, um, mainly in that food, beverage, pharmaceutical um, and personal and home care. So I had a bit of a COVID ramp yeah. in it as well.
0: Yeah, it's a big company. It's 23 billion market yeah. cap. Huge. So been around for a long time. I mean, it's it's okay uh, from a, from our point of view. The if I just looking at the numbers, their average is slightly negative on EPS growth over the last few years. Overall, it's pretty flat. Just yeah. looking at it uh, since two thousand and fourteen. So if you're buying a company with flat earnings, then really you've got to pay a low PE to get a decent return yeah. on it. So it comes back to them, Well, how much am I paying for? What what are they paying dividends? A good dividend. Uh, yeah. Let's see dividend dividends dividends uh, power ratio ninety two percent. Mm -hmm. So they're paying out the bulk of their earnings, which is terrific. Um, PE ratio at the moment is currently about 19. Uh, That's pretty high for those earnings. So if I then extrapolate that into what would I get as a return, uh, it's showing for me... I'm getting 2.65% if I buy it now at $15, right? Which okay. is not very exciting, is it? Right. And if I wanted, if I wanted, um,
1: and you look at that, the band is pretty narrow. In oh, that, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, a pretty, five,
0: stable, it's, a, stable, it's so. a pretty stable. It's a stable. years. It's a pretty stable business. It's a defensive stock. Yeah, it's yeah. a defensive stock. So if you look at, if I want a 10% return, which is my, mm-hmm. I'd say, would be the absolute minimum, mm-hmm. um, then you couldn't pay more than $10.64, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's quite a ways quite off a where way it off is. You know, you could have bought it in March, obviously, maybe even April or so. So it's not a, it's not bad. Return on equity is below our minimum. It fails on a few measures for us. Okay. Um, yeah, but uh, it's it's okay.
1: Scott, what do you think of ABCOP?
2: I really struggled like Amcor, Koshi, because it's in a relatively commoditized business and it is really, really hard statistically for a commodity business to make a superior return. Now, we can talk about iron ore later, speaking of exceptions to the rule. But when you're selling, and look, Amcor will absolutely say their business, their, their, their package is different for a whole lot of different reasons. They are cutting edge and leading and all sorts of good stuff. And I'm sure that's even true. Um, the challenge, of course, is that your competitors are going to imitate you really, really fast. And so if you're in the if you're in the cardboard box business or the plastics business you've got to wonder where your where your competitive advantage remains and if you don't have one then all you do is you innovate 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 just to stand still i love innovation i love innovative businesses if they can grow through innovation that's wonderful if you have to innovate just to stand still because your competitors are going to commoditize your current offering you, you're, you're almost you're always on a burning platform now maybe that makes you hungry maybe that makes you innovative maybe it makes you cost conscious or, or, or a whole lot of things um what it doesn't make you often is a is a great investment so uh, look, it's, it's also at a reasonably expensive P/E. year. It's not super expensive, I like think 17 times or something, which is not very expensive in the current market. But for a business that doesn't have a lot of brand advantage or a lot of genuine uh, differentiation, the thing it's got going for is growth, pure growth. Think about the number of boxes we all ordered online over the last 12, 18 months. That'll continue growing to some degree moving forward. And so there is a natural tailwind. If you want some sort of e-commerce play, you like boxes, I guess you do it. Uh, just too hard for me, too expensive. I don't think it's the sort of business you want to be buying generally, let alone at a you know average to high yeah. PE. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe if it's super cheap, maybe if there is some competitive advantage I'm not aware of, then go for it. Otherwise, there are just better ways to make money mm-hmm. in the stock market. Okay.
1: All right. Um, uh, Luke wants to know, is a better way through APA Group? Um, mm-hmm. It's the big uh, gas pipeline transporter, isn't it? Someone once described it, is. it to me as um, the transurban of, uh, of gas. <laughs> Think of it as a toll road for gas. All the gas producers want to ship their gas through a pipeline it's owned by APA and they clip the ticket along the way. Would that be a fair description?
2: Yeah, very fair description, Koshi, with the exception that it's even better than transurban because you can't go around the tollway. The the pipe is the pipe is the pipe. There's no other way to get around it, right? So you have to use 8
1: pipeline. And you don't have a government uh, telling you how much you can charge.
2: Well, you kind of do, and this is this is I the challenge I think, for some of these regulated utilities. Is they are normally subject to state or federal regulation in terms of pricing, uh, and there is some there is some general reality around the relative cost of that versus shipping literally in ships or other fuel sources. So there is some price sensitivity. To be fair, um, the the challenge with APA, I think, is the growth story. It's offering a five point one percent dividend yield, which is really nice. If you're an income seeking investor, you want to have a diversified income portfolio. I'd happily put APA in. But I don't think it's a market beating stock. And that's where, again, the, the kind of the idea of what do we want the portfolio to do or what do we want the stock to do is super, super important. So if you're saying, can we beat the market with APA? I don't think so. Over the long term, there's not enough raw growth. there. There's not enough pricing power there. And in fact, there's the ever present risk. That there is some regulation that the government say, hey, those margins you're making, they're too high. We're going to cut your price or force you to have a lower price. Um, so whenever you're operating a, a utility, a particularly a monopoly utility, um, then you are always at risk of having the government stamp, step in and say, no, we'll actually set the price or we'll reduce the price you're receiving. And there's very little in the way of upside on that price. So you kind of got this asymmetric bet where heads you win a little bit, tails, even though it's a small chance, you could lose a lot, particularly share price-wise, because you can't make it up with volume. You can't make it up with growth, uh, at least not okay. a lot. And right. so for me, this is a, like a really good stock, really good company. If I was building an income portfolio, I'd happily put APA in an income portfolio for sure. Um, So, again, it depends on your objective, right? But if you're not going to beat the market, buy the market. If you are going to try to beat the market, I don't think APA is the key. So, I'm going to have a a bet each way. Overall, I'm going to say, no, it's not a buy because we're aiming to beat the market here. But if you are an income investor, you want to add to a diversified portfolio. Mm -hmm. And particularly if your portfolio is chock full of banks, which most are, I'd happily diversify some of that bank exposure and I'd happily buy APA to replace it.
1: Okay. That's a really good comment. Uh, Mark?
0: Uh, yeah the, the only other thing we don't like about it is and this is typical of um, uh, REITs and so on as well is very high debt levels about 475 right. percent debt to equity so yeah it's got a very high debt but that's okay when you've got long-term contracts and you're clipping the coupon on on the on the uh, gas infrastructure and so on so that, if, assuming mm. you can live with that we're showing it currently returning about 2.8 percent compound right. based on its current earnings profile and so on so right. and I can't I agree with Scott I can't it's hard to see how they're going to make right. that much different, you know. Because,
1: but if you had a client that said, "Give me income stocks. I want a defensive, a retiree, or or whatever. I want an income portion." Yeah, would it would it qualify? No, I wouldn't
0: get it. Well, if you were going to buy it, going back to my ten percent minimum argument, including the dividends, you couldn't pay more than $7.06 and it's right. currently nine eighty eight. So yeah. it's, it's too expensive. It's not a P of thirty, right. which even right. for the um, uh, you know, what we're talking about here is still too much. Right. Um, having said that uh, I, I agree with Scott you know it's it's got it's not without merit right it's just something you okay. wouldn't turn
1: us on yep okay alright and it takes a lot to turn you on Mark. it does I know yeah, that's very absolutely. true that's very true yeah, that's very good <laughs> um, alright Jules uh, our fit stock to take a look at Jules has suggested um, Antipodes Global Investment it's a, a listed investment company uh, I hadn't heard of this one before um, but um, looks at uh, long and short global securities investment portfolio with a currency overlay over the top of it you asking me
0: yeah
1: okay this is terrible right. <laughs> so, so yeah
0: I, I hadn't heard of it either so right, but right. having a look at their numbers I've only been going it's only got four years history right. but in the four years with their uh, uh, with their model that they have yeah. Yeah. so they're taking your money they say they want to get above average returns of course everybody says yep. that well their return so far they're running at negative 71 percent. You know, per year. So that's what the uh, earnings are doing. So uh, they they lo- it actually lost money last year. I don't know how you do that. But anyway, um, it's, uh, it's a shocker. So return on equity is negative, return on capital is negative, obviously. And uh, it's, uh, if you look at the return, from our point of view, you're going to get negative 73% per uh-huh. year over the next five years if you invest in it. So, so now they may turn that around. But we, if you're a fund manager, which is what these guys are yeah. effectively, yeah, you, you, you live and die by your returns, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So Magellan at the moment is now a little bit, there's nothing like this. Yeah, This is yeah. like, this is a shocker. Yeah. It's like yeah. whatever they've chosen as these outstanding investments and so on are performing really badly or right. their currency overlays or whatever they're doing they is not working. Got right. okay. So why would, you, why would you go do it? Yep. Scott?
2: I tend to agree. I think the, you know, when you're buying a, a listed investment company in particular, you're looking for two things. You either want a discount to discount the net tangible assets, you want to buy what they hold but cheaper, and that's always a nice way to get a cheap access to some assets you like, um, if you like the assets, or you want to buy the skill of the fund manager because you believe that person can continue to add value year after year after year. And there's plenty of businesses that have done that. I'll, I'll, I'll choose one I own, Sol Pats, right? A great listed investment yep. company, 100 plus year track record, phenomenal compound growth returns, really capable, conservative, committed management, great business, right? So that's, that's the... You know, that, that's the gold standard for mine. And I own the shares for full disclosure, so I'm unbiased. I'm um, then there's a group who kind of do a bit of an index plus or minus a little bit. That's kind of the affix, the argos, that kind of stuff. And then there's the other guys who want to try and build themselves a track record. Now, I will be a little kind to just say that there are times when you can have short-term underperformance and come out of it. So I don't know these guys are doomed to continually deliver terrible performance. But to Mark's point, given the success thus far, either you know and believe in the people involved. Or, you desperately love the assets they're involved in, or both. Uh, but either way, that's the that's the value call. that's that's the judgment call you're going to have to make because there's nothing in the history you can look at and say, "Wow, these guys have done so well, I want to be there for the next leg of the of the journey." Now, in funds management, there is some mean reversion, by the way. So maybe after a couple of bad years, they're due for a good year. But again, that's kind of you know broad uh, you know broadface specul face speculation. Uh, you're literally saying, well, gee, I hope so. Maybe maybe it can. Uh, but if you want to do that, you might as well go to the go to the casino, put it on red or black. So look, I, you know, I, I won't. I, I don't know them well enough to be negative or positive about them, quite honestly. Uh, but certainly, the results thus far don't suggest a whole lot of confidence, unless you have a reason to believe it was unusual or you know a one-off event, or there's something great in the assets yeah. that will make for a much brighter future without that degree of confidence. And I think you'd want to have more than just, I think, I hope, uh, maybe, you want to have some reason to believe. Uh, that. Thus far, at least, as a listed company it hasn't given us that reason to believe, I'd give it a miss.
1: All right. Uh, thank you for that. And um appreciate the, uh, uh, the suggestion, Jules. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's uh, take a look at our first five stocks uh, on the call today. Uh, first one, our stock of the day, Tabcorp, both Scott and Mark saying we're all of the uh the takeover speculation within the stock puts the share price up they'd be selling at the moment and taking profits and getting it out um grand corp a no from both uh, Blackmores scott's interested at these levels uh a no from mark and cora no apa and no from both except uh, scott is saying if it's part of an income portfolio then um that would would be worth consideration, and Antipodes Global, a no. Here on the call, we're tracking our own fantasy portfolio since the 1st of July last year, thanks to our partner, NAB Trade. Any stock that comes up on the call that both the experts say yes, gets two thumbs up, goes into the portfolio. If it comes up again and doesn't get the the tick from both, it goes out, as Amcor does from today's show, it has been in the portfolio, now goes out. Uh, let's check on how the portfolio has been performing. Uh, for the last week, it's down 1% for the month, up 3.3% and since the 1st of July, up close to 30%. Take a look at some of the stocks recently added. Uh, Crown Resorts, Premium, uh, De Grey Mining, uh, Suncross Media and Yoji. Uh, some of the stocks removed, Nuix, uh, ALE Property Group, Webjet, and Premier Investments. uh, If you want to check all the stocks in the calls portfolio, head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Coming up next on The Pulse, uh, telecommunications company Hubify has acquired a strategic stake in cybersecurity company Internet 2.0. Chief Executive Victor Sukunas um, takes us through the deal and what it means for Hubify. Victor is coming up at 1.10 p.m. Eastern. All right, let's get into our um, second five stock, second half of the call. And uh, Robin wants a view on Bravura Solutions, Mark. She's saying, uh, would the group uh, ever consider buying into this um, company? At its current share price, it provides, it's sort of a, a platform, a software um, platform for wealth management and funds administration groups in the financial services industry. A, a few in this there sector, are. aren't there? There are. There's NetWealth
0: quite, and Hub24. Yeah, they're two, they're two other main competitors. Yep. It's been a bit of a boom area because of all yep. the breaking up of um, the uh, big organisations like AMP and so on, where they had massive numbers of advisors are going out on their own or they're yep. sitting up in different groups. So when you do that, you need your own you need your own software to manage it. So yeah. so there have been a bit of a boom time. Bavira actually looks very good on uh, Conscious Investor from uh, Team Invest point of view. So it passes all our filters. We right. have done we have done some work on it. Um, it has it has uh, four years history, which is our absolute minimum. Up 24 and its uh, net wealth, I think, are both less than that. Right. So <coughs> they're both bigger businesses right. than Bavira. So what we're trying to find out is getting a bit more industry intel on what they're like by comparison. Yep. But if you look at Bavira at the moment, if you look at their P.E. ratio, we've mentioned before, uh, they're in the uh, top bottom quartile of a P.E. So the question is, with the viewer, would you buy it now? Well, it's in the bottom quartile of its range and the P.E. is currently on um, uh, 21. Right, um, and their growth rate's been uh, very good. So if you look at their growth rate, it's been running at um, thirteen. Sorry, uh, growth rate's been running at twenty seven percent a year with high stability. Okay, so that's good. So we like all that. Yeah. So the the question is, um, would you buy it now? Yes, on the on the surface. Personally, I, I want to understand the competitive market better.
1: Right. Uh, but it passes all our all our metrics. So I'll say it's a okay. It. Passes all the metrics. Seen. And compared to net wealth uh, and Hub, yeah, uh, they have different charts to this one. They do. Sort of um, they've, they uh, the so uh, chart. I just have a 12 of chart. Twenty-four. Look, um, so, it's down to almost a what three three-year low at the moment. So, um, as you say, you know, in a what? sector that's okay.
0: Well, Hub, Hub Twenty Four is on a massively high PE, right? And its growth rate's eleven. So it's got yeah. lower
1: growth rate than. Um,
0: as well, and net wealth. Is a of net wealth. So the market I may
1: just, have lift this behind by they comparison. They may have. They may
0: have. Net wealth uh, has got three years history. Um, that's that's on a PE of sixty-eight. Wow. So okay. they're both way way more expensive on the surface, and their growth rate's running at 47%. So that's got a higher growth rate right, okay. than, uh, Net, than uh, Bravura. Bravura. So I don't know how long this is going to go for. I suspect it's got a few more years in it. So yeah. I think Bravura is probably, of what we've looked at today, uh, there you go, so that's the um, the PE the, uh, the, uh, ratio, highs and lows, look at the variation. Yep. See that line? That's the current PE, or oh, that's right. the average of it. So it's right now, it's down close to the low. Right. So that's, you know, it doesn't get better than that from
2: mm. our
1: point of view, If assuming you want to buy it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Scott, so, what so do you think bra- Yeah,
2: because I'll, I'll give it pretty much the same comments as Mark. I'll try not to be too repetitive, but, but I think Mark's nailed it. it it's a Look, the, 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 the wealth management platform mm-hmm. businesses have done phenomenally well. Class is probably the, the fourth in that list um, to really suck up a whole lot of market share. In a combination of winning customers away from the big banks, but also, I'll say platformizing, I'm going to make up a new word, um, in a way that zero did for accounting. So a whole lot of people who had shoebox accounts, all of a sudden went, hey, there's this thing called Xero. I'll take all the receipts out of the shoebox, put them on 0 I'll go from being unaccountanted, again, another new word, uh, to using zero. To some degree, these wealth management platforms have provided that opportunity for financial planners at the very same time as the financial planning networks have had to deal with changes the future of financial advice, uh, scaling, they're losing a lot of commissions and justifiably so. And so they're looking for better, cheaper, easier, higher quality ways of doing business. And these guys have come along as a, as a quartet and done a spectacular job of basically backfilling all of that stuff. The good news is that that's got a decent way to go, I think. But to Mark's point, The open question is really how far does it have left and how long can those growth rates continue? If you're growing at, it was a net worth, we're growing at 47% a year. Um, I mean, you can only do that for so many years before you double and triple and quadruple in size. Now, it is a very big market. The banks are still the majority um, or the institutions, I should say probably rather than banks, are the majority share. So these guys are still the disruptors to some degree rather than the incumbents. But they're going to very quickly become the incumbents. All of that said. Reviewer at 15 times, earnings, I think, I think it's really cheap for a business with its growth profile in the sector that it's in, compared to its compared to its peers. Um, if I was going to play in this space, I'd absolutely go Reviewer. I think it is a buy, so we'll put down put that down as a okay. as a buy for both of us. Um, it's a business that has a, a, a long uh, track record of of growth, despite that share price chart. More importantly, I think it's got a decent chance of growing into the future. But the big watch out to Mark's point is a combination of competition between players, but also how much growth is there left in that disruption game. Before they hit an end point, you know, the banks over the last 20 or 30 years in, in banking merged, took over, grew a bit like the supermarkets in the 80s and 90s. Right. There's that consolidation. And well, they can go for 20 years. But when it stops, it stops hard. That's why Willis and Coles pre-COVID were growing at three, four percent each because there's just nothing left to take. Eventually, these platforms get to the same point. I don't think they're there yet. I think there is room to grow. And by the way, at a P of 15, you're not paying much for that. Opportunity. If it's all over, you're probably going to do terribly, and if there is a lot left, you're going to do pretty well from here. So yeah. to buy for me.
1: Okay. So uh, at the top of the show, you were talking about um, stocks that may have been washed out with the change. This is an example of one.
2: Yeah, no, look, I mean this. You know, it's very, very, very hard to justify that share price chart in terms of the change of mind. You can say it was too expensive then; it probably was, by the way. So I'm not necessarily sort of saying that the market's got it wrong. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at the growth, if you say, well, hang on, the price was X and the earnings were Y back, you know, two, three, four years ago. Now, fast forward, the growth is still pretty good and likely to remain good. The P has come down mm-hmm. a lot, and this, I, think, I you're right, man. I think this is exactly one of those examples of one the market simply has overlooked. Um, lost in the reeds for whatever reason. Now, there may be a bear case out there, it may be a compelling one. If it is, I haven't heard it. And I've got to say, as I said, with that sort of growth at this sort of PE, if yeah. you bought these sort of businesses every day, you do very, very well on average. And i said many times, I'll say later in the program, you know, a basket approach of these types of businesses, not necessarily all in the same sector, but those kind of, if you're looking down for a group of knockdown tech with decent growth at low PEs, this is exactly the sort okay. of business you'd add to that basket for sure.
1: All right, then, Scott, Uh, Sharon wants a view on Appen. Is this a (laughs) knockdown tech? Uh, (laughs) It's uh, share price down, what, 62% since August last year. It's in sort of that data AI type um, uh, space, isn't it? Um, um, It's a a big business, uh, disappointed in its half-year results and has been absolutely smashed, but it's got... What seventy eight million dollars in cash, no debt, and um, you know, still a business there.
2: Again, a really good summary, Koshi. I think, look, it is knocked down, but it's not knocked down far enough for me because the P is still above thirty, uh, and right. and it tells you a little bit about investor expectations during the year that you can fall by two thirds and still have a P above thirty. Do that maths in your head; it's, oh, it's right. a remarkable starting yeah. point when that's the when that's the result. Here's the thing about Apple. Apple, it's doing a really good job so far. The growth has been pretty good, generally speaking, up until what they say was COVID-induced pullback by yeah. customers. And again, I can only I can only assume that's right. Um, Mark Brain, a really good CEO who I who I quite like and respect. I had a lot of dealings with him in the current and previous organisations. So, um, really good guy running a business is doing its best. The, the concern I have with Apple is I even a direct problem. It's just I, I choose not to invest in it because it is basically in the computer training business. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of the voice recognition or a lot of the contextualization of search results is Apple's core business. I, I, I'm gonna bet that computers find a way to do this for themselves before long. Mm-hmm. I don't believe investors are gonna be whispering, in, uh, investors, humans are gonna be whispering in computers ears for the next 10 yeah. or 15 years to help them do the things they're doing today, which is, hey, was that the right search result? Is that the right accent? We know the computers taught themselves to translate Google in particular between different languages using a Rosetta Stone style approach. They took the same text in different languages and effectively Google taught itself to translate by looking for patterns. And I have to believe, I do believe that they uh, they will find a way to do that with voice and with search results pretty quickly. If that's right, Apple's core business all of a sudden evaporates. Now when I say all of a sudden evaporates, it could take 15 years. It may never happen. I might be completely wrong. And so I'm not going to say this is absolutely a short or you want to run and get out of this thing because we'll never make money. All I'm saying is there's a non-zero chance of its core business effectively going away at some point. And you ask yourself what's left. That's an okay risk to Mm. take if it's long enough away or the price is cheap enough. I don't know on the former and I don't think so on the latter. um, So I'm going to give it a miss. At a cheaper price, I'd absolutely have a look and, and, you know, it may well justify a place in a portfolio. For now, though, I just don't Mm. see enough probability for the future to be bright enough to make it worth investing in.
1: Okay. Bye.
0: Uh, it's a company we know very well. Uh, a lot yeah. of um, team invest members um, have uh, shares in it. Particularly recently, um, it's in the bottom quartile of its uh, of its PE range, and we've, yep. we mentioned it. The share price has come down from like forty four dollars down to uh, uh, fifteen. Mm. So it really has been smashed. Uh, the, uh, this is one of the problems. when Scott talked about you know the opportunities in the market. There's quite a few things that are actually you know clearly on the, or on the surface look really good, but you've got to dig deeper and say. Do I understand the business and so on? Now, one of the problems yeah. our members have, and this is human nature, is when there's a problem, you look for problems. When the price goes down, you look for problems. right? Yep. So yeah. that you don't get a situation where everything's fantastic and the price goes down 60%. You know, that, yep. If it does, it jumps straight back. It yeah. just doesn't happen. So there's always something happening. It's, whether it's a short seller report or whatever. They came out with a report saying that COVID was affecting them uh, negatively, stopping contract flow mm-hmm. and so on. And yeah. we were surprised at that. Yeah. And the market has really smashed it. Yeah. Going back to Scott's point though about the future, a big part of their business is they have about a half a million, maybe a million, people on con- like contractors working all over the world who go out and um, then or they send them pictures and things and say like oh, this is a cat. Yeah. So then they say in their dialect or their language this is a cat. Now that's cats an easy one. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, I can do that. But yeah. they basically what they do is they feed all this data that they collect. So it's very much like a a, a, um, a massive employment. Uh, a scheme where you've got all these people doing contract work for them. Yep. They just pay them on a, on a jobbing, jobbing yep. basis yep. and they supply Facebook and Microsoft and so on. And it With teaches the AI. Yep. To Scott's point, uh, that is the big risk. Like, yep. how long will this go for? Um, there doesn't seem to be any sign of it stopping. Their, their, their actual EPS growth rate has averaged 38% a year over the last six years, which is okay. spectacular yep. and makes the peer of 40 actually look cheap yep. uh, if, they, if it's sustainable. Uh, they did buy an AI company leap force I think it was called and at the time they said well this could be a potential future competitor right so you go ding 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 so the and, yeah, and, yeah. and this was an AI version of trying to do what they're doing yeah. and they saw that as evolving their product I don't know yeah uh, I suspect yeah there's no short-term risk for this business yep yeah. in the in their business going away because they've got you know some of the major uh, companies in the world who they have contracts with supplying right. uh, like Facebook and Microsoft yep I don't think that's by Google, but they've got they've got three or four of the majors. Okay. So quite a narrow client base as well, yep. which gives them some risk in that too. So, value at this level? I think it's cheap, um, as long as you're, you you realize that they are in an area which eventually will be overtaken by AI completely. Okay. Uh, but it was, right. is that one year, five years, or ten years? I have yep. zero idea. Okay. So yes
1: or no? I say yes. Okay. All right. Uh, we've got a. Get our skates on a bit as we uh, go to our next talk. And Mark, Steve wants a view on Ardent Leisure, the big uh, leisure and entertainment business. Um, of course, owns uh, Dreamworld uh, on the Gold Coast and theme parks, not only in Australia, but also the United States as well. Oh, you're asking me, sorry. sorry.
0: No, yep. uh, yeah, Ardent. Now, this is before they had their big accident. Yeah, yeah, which sort of stopped the uh, the whole business in its tracks. It was actually not doing well anyway before that. Right. So, uh, Ardent, um, if you look at their um, earnings, yeah, you know, they're obviously losing money now. But if you look at the so that's what you're looking at. There is, um, I think that's earnings. I'll just check. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. That's um, that's EPS. So if you look at the years over the last ten years, the first five four years, very very marginal growth. Then it dropped down two years. Then took a big hit. Yeah. And then. Another two loss years, and if we're these the bottom uh, bar chart, the light blue—that's uh, sales. Yeah. So in the year, there two. Uh, where are we? Two, uh, eighteen. Must have been when they had the accident, and then yep. the sales smack crashed as well. Look at the blue lines now. Those losses. Yeah. So the losses are um, enormous. You know how much money they've lost Huge. compared to what their earnings were. That's that's losses. Yep. Dollars per share. Yep. And then you see that blue line there. Um, so the blue line next to, in, between the last two uh, yep. dark, dark bars, that's debt. Right. So when I said the um, that was sales, i right. sorry, it was debt. debt to equity. And the debt's yeah. now gone through the roof as well, debt to equity. So you've got a combination of uh, massive losses and a massive increase in, in debt. Yeah. So how could you invest in this? Because yeah. even if they now open up and turn the business around and go back to what they had in 2010,
2: 2012,
0: 2013, like they'll never catch up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's. Yeah. I can't see it. Yeah. So, it? no way.
2: Yeah, Mark's covered it nicely. I think you have to believe there's going to be a turnaround or some sort of bounce back to justify this one. And there may well be, by the way. You know, there is probably, almost certainly, some sort of revenue bounce back as the world, the country, theme parks, depending on where you are, reopen. Uh, and so that's that's going to be a positive for revenue. It's going to be a positive for profits at, in the fullness of time. The question, of course, is whether the debt load is bearable uh, and whether it's a worthwhile investment given that risk. Uh, I don't love the business. I don't love the assets. Theme parks are other than Disney. I mean, I, for those old enough with, with a bit less hair than we used to. Remember Australia's Wonderland in the west of yes, Sydney? Um, yes. There have been so many of these guys that have opened up. and I, don't, I can't remember the last really long-term success story yeah. when it comes to theme parks. I mean, the, the, the stuff in Queensland has hung around, but it's hardly covered itself in glory. Disney does great. The US theme parks go up and down like a yo-yo. Um, they're just not great businesses. So okay. without the debt, I might take a punt at the cheap price, but I'm giving it a miss. Okay.
1: All right. Uh, something uh, a bit less uh, volatile. Dwayne, Scott wants a view on uh, the Waypoint. Uh, REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, owns 474. Um, petrol stations, service stations, mainly leased to Beaver Energy, aren't
2: they? Yeah, if I was clever enough, gosh, course, yeah, I'll make a joke between volatile and petrol <coughs> fumes, but I can't, I can't get there quickly, <laughs> so I'll, uh, I'll leave that to the, to the, to the funny people watching. Uh, mate, look, it's, this is a fascinating one. Normally, at a, at a REIT level, I don't love retail REITs, I don't love office REITs for various reasons we've talked about before. I want to like this one because you would assume it's a reasonably stable business. We all drive down the highway, put the left blinker on, pull into yep. a survey, fill up, and keep going. The risk, of course, for these groups over the long term is the rise of non-petrol vehicles, whether they're hydrogen or electric, which is more likely. And you kind of think, OK, what does that do to an asset? Ironically, the larger the group here, the more likely you are to get caught up by the reduction in use. We know fuel yep. economy is already increasing, by the way, or decreasing, increasing, whichever way you to look at it, improving in cars. I, I just look... I want to like it. And to Mark's point before about the one year, five years, 10 years thing about, um, uh, about uh, what was it, uh, Appen? That's right. Um, you know, if, if it's one of those businesses that manages 10 years before the rot sets in, it'll be okay. You've got to figure though you are in some sort of business that's got a burning platform. Even if, even if some of these petrol stations end up with EV charging points, they're not all going to need them or have them because uh, we're going to be able to charge at home. So long-term, I'm a bear. I don't really have a view on the time frame. Uh, So you're either going to try and speculate, try and hope you can get out just before the bad news sets in. I'm not going to take that bet. I'm going to pull out, not invest at all in this one, unfortunately. Mark?
0: um, yeah, no, that was, uh, that was well summed up by, by Scott. I mean, what I do like about it is that it's a specific uh, category, which is petrol stations, which is yeah. a reliable one. And in the short term, they're not going anywhere, are they? No. And in fact, if not. anything, there's and been
1: they have some... their convenience stores now. Yeah, yeah, and the is, convenience uh, stores
0: probably where they make all the money yeah, anyway. Yeah, and that's, that's the high lease margin. part, just like the airports, you know. Yep. With... So so that's not that's probably not going away anytime soon. We're a long way away from having, uh, you know, getting rid of petrol cars altogether. It might be 30 years or something. I have no yeah. idea. It's yeah. going to be a long time. Yep. Probably longer than the greenies think. Right. Um, having said that, um, their earnings are absolutely flat, so they're totally reliable, Like $0.17, cents, $0.17, cents, $0.16.3, cents, $0.17.1 cents right. over the last five years. That's great. Totally flat, no growth. Right. So uh, they should get, you would think, uh, CPI yeah. you know, based on rental increases and stuff, you would think, but they don't seem to be. Right. Um, so it's actually, um, it's reliable from that point of view. It's paying out 88% of the earnings, so it's paying a, a reasonable dividend. It's not on a massive peer. Um, if you want a ten percent return uh, on a margin of safety, you you couldn't pay more than about two dollars and three. Ah, so it's okay. currently uh, at the moment it's two forty six. Two forty. So it's not you know it's not out of their money. Right. I think we at the moment we're showing it returning about seven percent. Okay. All
1: right. Uh, and Ben has our final stock for us to look at today. Uh, Mark he wants a view on Emeco Holdings, which is um, a uh, equipment rental business but at the big end of the scale is it's your big Tonka trucks and diggers and things like that
0: yeah yeah so <laughs> they, they, they do a lot for uh, general road construction and so yeah. on so they they rent maintain they also run workshops where companies can go in and uh, fix their own stuff and hire their hire their facilities right. it's been around for around for a long time uh, pretty capital intensive. They've got very high debt levels, 173% debt to equity, which is way over way over our um, our limit. It's also quite, uh, as you'd expect, it's a very um, uh, c- secular, uh, uh, secular, what's the word? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. cyclical, cyclical, not secular. Like, secular, it de- secular, business. Sort of depends
1: on the infrastructure of course, spend. then the uh, So like they had a
0: period there from 2014 to mm-hmm. 2017 yeah. where they lost money. Yeah. So yeah, you know, and then. Um, they haven't been paying a dividend either for a long time. It's been years since they've paid a dividend. So if you look at their their returns back in the good old days, you know, their their earnings were back in 2011 or 2012 about a dollar, and they're now currently 13 cents, oh. and it's been everything in between, but never higher than that. So if anything, over the last decade, it's got worse on all key metrics. Right. Okay. So if you're looking at that, that gap in the middle is the uh, loss it's the area, yeah, and there's your um, PE variance, yeah, um, which is massive you know, showing you the uh, the p- variations on price. So at the moment, it's, uh, just see where it is on the moment, sorry. Um, oops, sure. ah. I'm going to to close it. Uh, so at the moment, it's um, PE is on 6.8. Right. So the PE is low and it's the bottom of the green. Right. So it is showing a decent return at the moment of 10.6% um, from on our calculations, which is pretty good. Uh, because the PE is so low. Right. But it, by definition, it's going to always be a very lumpy, capital yeah. heavy business, yeah. um, just not very exciting. Yeah. But, but it could do well from here, but you should see
1: what Scott it, says. Yeah, if the government starts pumping money Well, they into, probably will. Uh, in they the probably will. Budget. Yeah. 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 Uh, what do you think, Scott?
2: Actually, there aren't many charts you'll see like that one you showed before where there's a hundred fold difference between the bottom and the top of the share price chart <laughs> over a five year period. I mean, that's, talk about Lumpy. That, yeah. that's, I don't think I've ever seen something that looks like that over such a short period of yeah. time. Look at that, three cents at the bottom, $2.75 at the top. It, if you if you bought a dozen of these types of businesses at a P of six ish, you'll do really well. Yeah. Uh, the question, of course, and I've said this before, the question, of course, with Emico, is this the one or is this the exception? It's uh, really, really hard to know. It's, it's been around for a long time. Frankly, it's managed to survive and I won't necessarily say thrive, but do okay uh, over that period that, that uh, Mark's talked about, including that graphy show before with those PEs. Some losses in the middle, some profits either side of this one. If you were going to buy this one, you'd probably do it as a pure speculation or part of a, part of a, a basket of, of low PE stocks that maybe had some bright futures. There are plenty of risks in front of this one, and there is a non-zero chance that businesses like this with high, high, high capital stocks – and yeah. potentially revenue that yeah. goes to zero, as it did in Asia uh, during that period. Literally, they couldn't get a single person to buy or hmm. rent some of their equipment in Indonesia, I think it was, back in the day. Yeah. Um, that, that's a really tough business to be in. Yep. As I said, part of a basket, and actually back again from this sort of business, if we had enough of them in a basket that was representative. Uh, individually, would I buy just this one stock if you said, where do I put my next $1,000? No, I wouldn't. Okay. Um, so look... Put me down for a buy uh, in, in, a, in, a, um, in a probabilistic sense, but I wouldn't be buying this one. If you're looking for one stock out of today's program, Emiko is not the one. Okay,
1: all right. Let's recap our final five stocks. Uh, Bravura, a yes from both uh, Scott and Mark, so it goes into the calls portfolio. Appen, a no from Scott, a yes from Mark. Ardent, Leisure, no. Waypoint uh, reap no. And Emiko, a no. Scott Phillips from Motley Fool, Great to have you on board, sir. See you next time. Have a good Aussie, rest of you, the day. Uh, thank Mark you, Mark. Mark Morland from Team Invest. Good to have you, mate. My pleasure. Thank uh, you. Thank you for coming into the studio. And uh, that's it for our show today. If you've got any stocks that you want adjudicated on the, by the uh, the Calls panel, uh, email them in the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at Osbiz TV handle. Uh, don't forget, you can see all the stocks in the Calls portfolio. Amcor comes out reviewer goes in today, um, head to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Don't forget if you want a, um, a sum up of everything that's happened in the day of um, in terms of business and markets, subscribe to the Osbiz newsletter. You get Scuddy's view. You get a link to the Close of Business podcast and all the most popular interviews and videos for the day. Subscribe ausbiz.co slash C-O-B. And on the Startup Daily Show from two pm, which looks at all the founders and companies looking to raise capital in that startup, scale-up, venture capital area uh, this afternoon. Joined by uh, Pete Siglinski uh, as he launches a second equity crowdfunding campaign for his clean tech company Cbin. That's coming up amongst a whole bunch of other guests with the team on Startup Daily from 2 p.m. Eastern. A lot happening on Ausbiz. Don't go away. Back after the break.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts?